Hebrews 11.32. What shall I say more for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. I want to focus on one phrase from verse 34 of Hebrews 11, this faith chapter, out of weakness made strong. God bless you. You may be seated. When the Apostle Paul was writing to his son in the gospel, Timothy, he said, from a child you have known the holy scriptures that are made, able to make you wise unto salvation through faith with, which is in Christ Jesus. I, many of us are like that. From a child, I was taught the Holy Scriptures and they helped help me open my heart to salvation. When I was a little Sunday school kid, my Sunday school teachers as well as my parents taught me a great truth. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to Him belong they are weak, but he is strong. Now, when I was a little boy, I wasn't too wild about saying I was weak. When I was a teenager, I certainly didn't like saying I'm weak. When I became a man, I don't like to admit weakness. In fact, men especially don't like to fellowship weakness. And I don't want to speak for you, but I would dare say that most of you would rather not talk about times when you're weak. You would much rather pretend or intend in your life to be strong. We would rather be strong. We would rather go from strength to strength without passing through that valley of weeping called Baca or Baca that Psalm 84 talks about. Over the last several days, I have been pressed in my spirit, that's a preacher word, right? Pressed in my spirit to preach this message today. I don't want to minister to people who are weak spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically, to tell you that out of your weakness, you can be made strong. Now, the Bible says that when one body of the, one member of the body of Christ is weak, that the other members suffer with that person. Just as when one member is honored, the rest of the body honors and rejoices with that member of the body of Christ. So if you're not weak here today, if this message is not for you, would you please pray for and preach with me that the Lord would give strength to those who are legitimately weak and who God designed this message to help today. Now, I want a message, this message or any message, to give you insight and understanding. I hope when you leave here today that you heard something from the Bible that will help the way you think and you see life. But really, beyond getting understanding today, I am praying that God would give a supernatural impartation 
of his power that his strength would flow into weakness. Now, as you look around this congregation, you may perceive some people as being strong, but if you could tear back the facade, you would see beneath the surface that they're actually struggling and they need help from the Lord. Others that you may perceive as weak have received the strength of God and they're walking in that strength. I am praying, and I want you to please pray with me as we've been saying Preaching is not a performance. It is the outflow of a life. It is something that we do together so we can see God's eternal purpose accomplished in the lives of people. Hebrews 11, our text today, it gives a history of heroes of the faith of the Old Testament. The Old Testament itself gives these stories in great detail. In Hebrews 11, we get snapshots. We get short clips of their life just to make a point to point us back to those stories in the Bible. Some of the most prominent characters of the Bible are mentioned in Hebrews 11. Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, Joseph, Moses, Rahab. And then in verse 32, the writer shifts even into more of a summary fashion And he said, and what shall I say more? For the time would fail me. I don't know what he was doing. He wasn't waiting on a bus. He wasn't trying to catch a flight. But he just said, I don't have time to really go into detail about all these stories. I can't tell you the stories of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and of all the prophets. He names these six people specifically And then he just generically says all the prophets, they understand what it was like to go walk a life of faith, to live and die by faith, not having received the promise that the New Testament church received when they received the Holy Ghost. The Lord wants us to see how these men and women overcame adversity and they did not abandon their faith even in the midst of trials and adversity and even unto death. He tells us what they did. Subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of the sword, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Some of these women received their dead, raised to life again. There are others who seem to have lost in life, only to have won in eternity. It didn't look like their stories turned out so well. They were sawn asunder. They died. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins. They were destitute of whom the world was not worthy. These are our predecessors, the heroes of faith. Now what would be interesting, this would be a good Bible study, to take these phrases of Hebrews 11 and try to match them to actual Bible characters, whether they are named or unnamed, these phrases correlate to some real person in the Old Testament that actually lived this out. One of my favorite commentators is F.F. Bruce. He said that the earliest comments we have where someone tried to match the phrases with the people was done before 100 A.D. by Clement, of Rome. He he said quench the violence of fire. Who would that be? Well, that's the three Hebrew children who were alive in the fire. 
Who escaped the edge of the sword? Well, Elijah escaped Jezebel's sword and Elisha from Jehoram and Jeremiah from Jehoiakim. Who assisted out of weakness was made strong? Gideon, Samson, that Old Testament hero of physical strength became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. You could go on and on and try to match them, but, but time would fail me, as the writer of Hebrews said, to try to do that today. Maybe that can be a personal Bible study of your own. But I want to focus on this one phrase from Hebrews 11.34, right in the middle of this verse, out of weakness were made Strong. Who among this list of heroes named in Hebrews 11 could you say that they fit this description that out of weakness they were made strong? Now, I don't know about you, but I think every one of these Old Testament heroes could have said at some time in their life, in some way or another, that this could have been their testimony. But they were weak, but he was strong. And God's strength was made perfect in their weakness. But one of these heroes just stood out to me. And I used to love a preach to preach this story about the most unlikely hero in the Bible. A man named Gideon. Gideon. Gideon, if he would have gone to high school and as a high school senior if his classmates would have voted someone to be the least likely to succeed, not the most likely to succeed, if they would have voted the least likely to succeed, I have a feeling that Gideon would have won, if that's winning, the least likely to succeed. That would be Gideon to me. Gideon, by his own words, he was from the poorest family of the tribe of Manasseh. I don't know how many siblings he had, but he said, I am the least in my father's house. If you were to look at all my siblings, everybody that's a part of my dad's family, Gideon said, I'm at the bottom of the totem pole of the pecking order. I am the least of all the tribes of Manasseh. My whole family is. And then I'm the poorest of my dad's family. I'm, I'm just, I'm a nobody. That's Gideon. And it's not a myth. He's not using hyperbole. He really was the lowest of the low, the weakest of the weak, and the poorest of the poor. But not only was that Gideon's personal testimony, Gideon lived at a time of national embarrassment, poverty, and in slavery. This national time lasted seven years. And every year, about the time they planted their crops, the crops were growing up. Then the Midianites, the Amalekites, the children of the east would come with their armies and they invaded the land of Israel. Every year, same time, impoverished the land. They destroyed all the crops. They stole all the livestock. They didn't leave anything behind but stubble. And the Israelites instead of fighting, did what people sometimes do. They adopted a mentality of flight. The Bible said in Judges 6 and 2, 
that they made dens rich in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds of the earth. They ran and hid from Midian. Nobody was willing to fight. There were no valiant men. Nobody was turning the armies of the aliens to flight. They were hiding out. Gideon was just one of them as well. Gideon was not a national hero. He was living up to his self-appraisal as being weak and poor and a nobody. We find Gideon in Judges 6.11 doing what all of his countrymen were doing, hiding, running, surviving. We find Gideon, he's over by a wine press, probably a, a big stone enclosure where they would drop the grapes and stomp on them and the grape juice would run out. He's hiding behind a wine press. And he has a handful of grain. And he's beating it against the stone to try to separate the chaff from the kernel to get enough food to eat. And he was going to hide it from the Midianites. That's Gideon. Least likely to succeed. Somewhere in heaven, God assigns an angel to come to earth to go to Gideon. I don't know if angels think it through or they just do as they're told. I think they do as they are told. He has a message from the Lord and he comes to Gideon and if he looked at Gideon and if he thought about it, he may have wondered why he was there. And when the angel spoke his first words to Gideon, Gideon wondered why the angel was there. The angel looks at Gideon, least likely to succeed. And the angel said to Gideon, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Gideon, says you need to check your assignment. Look at the address again. Last I saw, there's no mighty men of valor living around here. It's just me. Gideon starts making excuses to the Lord, the angel of the Lord. Gideon says, why? Have you ever asked God why? Have you ever asked the Lord, why is all this happening to us? Gideon asked that question. Why is all of this happening to us? If the Lord is with us, why are things so bad? And then I want to ask you another question, Lord, to your angel. Where are all the miracles our fathers told us about? We haven't seen a miracle in a long, long time. Nothing good is going on around here. Gideon is kind of saying, you're at the wrong spot talking to the wrong person. And by the way, I'm not interested in that message right now. But the angel doesn't take no for an answer. He looks at Gideon and says, go in this thy might and thou shalt save Israel. Have not I sent thee. You see, here's the deal. God is not interested in what you bring to the table. He just wants you to come to the table. 
He's not interested in your intellect, your ability. He will use it for his glory, but he can speak to a donkey. He can cause Moses to deliver Israel. It doesn't matter how much of a zero you feel like you are. It doesn't matter how weak you think you are. If God sends you, his grace will keep you where his will leads you every time. Gideon. You know, he's convinced he has no leadership ability. Weak, poor, surrounded by weakness, poverty, defeat, seven years in a row. You have to imagine how beat down, how depressed, how oppressed they were. These words of hope to Gideon come in a context of complete failure. But God, Loves those things that are weak. We are weak, but he is strong. The angel of the Lord says to Gideon, Surely I will be with you, and you will smite the Midianites just like you did it by yourself as like one man. Now this is an amazing Bible story. But time would fail me to tell all of it to you today. So let me go to The conclusion, Gideon, with only 300 men, armed with a trumpet and a pitcher, they go and they surround all of these armies, 300 men. According to Judges chapter 8, verse 10, all three of these armies, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the children of the east, their armies number 135,000 men. Gideon's got 300 losers, but God is on their side. And because God was on their side, they could shout the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, and God wrought a great victory that day. Amen. If Gideon would have wrote his personal testimony, he could not have written it any better than the writer of Hebrews when he said, out of weakness, he was made strong. That is my message for you today. It doesn't matter how much weakness you bring to the table as long as you're willing to let God's strength become perfect in your weakness. Say, I'm a winner. This message is not for me. Well, you're here in church or watching online. So you're probably part of the body of Christ. I want to remind you that throughout history, it is our legacy. We are weak, but he is strong. In Deuteronomy 7 and 7, the Lord told his people, I didn't choose you because you're the greatest in number. Do you think I looked down from heaven and I saw this mighty army of people and I went down? He said, I didn't do that. He said, you were the fewest of all people. In fact, he tells them in Isaiah 51 and 2 that I took Abraham all by himself. The Lord looked at Abraham and said, I will make you the father of many nations. I don't have to have much to start with. I can take Abraham and a wife who cannot have kids that doesn't have a baby till she's 90 years old. I can take that. I can start with that because I want to show you that out of weakness, you can be made strong. In the New Testament, 
the Apostle Paul was writing to the Corinthians. He said, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. Just pause a moment to think about the story of Gideon, a weak thing to confound those people who were so mighty. You see, Gideon did not get that glory. God got that glory. Verse 28, 1 Corinthians 1, by the way. And base things of the world and things which are despised have God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to nothing things that are. And then he gives a reason that no flesh should glory in his presence. Here's some things I've learned about living for God from the Bible and through experiences of life. Our sufficiency is never of ourselves. It is always of God. You have a choice. You can try to operate on your own limited understanding or you can trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. You can trust in the infinite understanding of God. You can trust in what the Bible calls the arm of the flesh, the strength that you have. Or you can trust in the arm of the Lord. Jeremiah, Chronicles, Isaiah, John, all speak of the arm of the Lord. I love the story where the Bible says, the Lord has made bare his mighty arm. In other words, God rolled up his sleeves and said, watch this. Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. You can bring whatever you've got packed in to the fight, but I thank God he's got a superior weapon every time. I wanted to say bring a knife to a gunfight, you know, but I didn't know if that would bother you, so. But he is bigger and badder than even that. You can try to fight battles in the flesh. Or you can fight them in the superiority of the spiritual. I've observed that God often allows us to be drained of our human strength and resources so we can be filled with this supernatural strength. I don't remember who said this, But you can be sure that when we are down to nothing, God is up to something. Through the Holy Ghost, we can have a great exchange, our weakness, for His strength. One of the great New Testament writers and apostles understood this truth that our strength is made perfect in weakness. And out of weakness we are made strong. The Apostle Paul saw the resurrected Jesus Christ. 
He said, I was like one born out of due time and last of all he appeared to me. He had incredible spiritual power and a depth of understanding. He saw the dead raised. God worked special miracles by the hands of Paul. It appears that Paul was stoned to death at Lystra in Acts chapter 14, but while they stood around, he rose up. Paul saw visions. He was given revelations that were so deep that he was not allowed to talk about them, not lawful to be uttered. To be sure, Paul knew Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection. But Paul also knew him in the fellowship of his sufferings. To keep Paul from being exalted because of the abundance of his revelations, the Bible said there was given him a thorn in the flesh. 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Lest I should be exalted above measure. Through the abundance of the revelations, there was given me a thorn in the flesh. The messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Paul was a great man. I'm sure he had his own humility. But the Lord said, I'll make sure that you don't glory and your revelations, and your miracles. I'm going to let you have this thorn in the flesh. Paul said, in spite of the Lord using me in extraordinary ways, the Lord knew I needed something to keep my feet on the ground, to keep me humble. Paul called it the messenger of Satan. Paul said that this messenger of Satan buffeted me. He harassed me. He beat me up. And God allowed it. You should never be envious of people who have extraordinary gifts. You never know that they might deal with excruciating thorns just like Paul. There's been a lot of speculation about Paul's thorn in the flesh. What was it? And there, there's a long list through, throughout the Centuries people have speculated and, and you know, just all kinds of theories about what it was. I, I wonder if it was eye problems. He talked about how large a letter I write with my own hand. And, and to the Galatians, he said, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. But we don't know that. It's just kind of left up for, you know, our just guessing. So maybe we can relate to what it's like to have something that we can't get rid of that reminds us that we are human, that we need God. Well, this thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, I believe it was some type of physical ailment because he doesn't call it a thorn in his spirit or in his mind. He calls it a thorn in my flesh. Three different times, I don't think three times on a sunny afternoon, but three seasons in his life, Paul begged God, he besought the Lord, take this away from me. I see him praying with like great drops of blood like Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. Lord, I'm trying to do your work. I'm trying to be an apostle. I'm locked up in prison. I'm rejected by my countrymen. I'm shipwrecked. I'm going through all these trials. In addition to all of this, I've got this thorn in my flesh. Would you please take it away? Give me some relief. No answer. Prayed again. No answer. Prayed again. 
answer. And he, the Lord, verse 9, 2 Corinthians 12, God said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul then says, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Look carefully. The Lord spoke to Paul in his weakness and God still speaks today in 2021. If you will pray to him, he will speak to you. My grace is sufficient, Paul. My grace is enough. Healing is what you want, but grace is what you're going to get. Grace to live with the thorn is my answer to your prayer. I know that grace is often defined as the unmerited favor of God, but grace is more than favor. Grace is a force. Grace is a power. Grace is the power of God that comes to us in our weakness. That's why the Lord could say to Paul, my grace is sufficient for my strength is made perfect in weakness. You've got weakness, I've got strength. You need grace, here it comes. Here is an infusion of supernatural strength flowing into your weakness. It was the grace of God that saved us in the beginning. We were without strength. We were separated from God by our sins. We could not save ourselves. Paul said, I find another law warring in my members, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin and death. I want to do good, but I don't have the power to do it. That's how we were before Christ. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, by grace we were saved. God allowed the grace, his power, to come flowing into our sinful lives. And the power of the Holy Ghost drove out the power of sin, overcame habits and addictions. It healed our mind. It healed our emotions. It set us free. Ephesians 2 and 8, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. You didn't earn it. You didn't go to the spiritual gym and work yourself up to it. You were without hope. You were dead in your sins. But when you repented of those sins, then God came rushing to the scene of your weakness. And instead of weakness, there was the Holy Ghost that was joy, unspeakable, and full of glory. That was a peace that was beyond understanding. That was hope that keeps you from living ashamed. Grace was not just for that time. When you first turn to God. But every time you need it. Paul said. The Lord said to Paul. I want to read it again. 
2 Corinthians 12, 9. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for thee for my strength. God said, my strength is made perfect in weakness. This is paradoxical, right? How can strength come from weakness? Well, I learned it as a kid. We are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me because he loves me. He allows me to have strength when I am weak. But here's something you need to remember. God's strength does not flow into your strength. God's strength flows into your weakness. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have strength, that you shouldn't do your best in life, but I'm talking about pride Self-sufficiency, self-will, I can make it on my own. So I don't feel that way. Well, then why don't you pray? If you knew you needed his strength, you would humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so he could exalt you in due time. God's strength flows to our weakness. And when we are full of ourselves, our intellect, our ability, our talent. We are operating in what we naturally possess. And God gave us natural gifts. Amen? He gave us abilities. But He gave those gifts to us so that we could surrender them to Him. So he could empower them. So he could supercharge them. So he could use them for his glory. As Paul said, don't think that you're somebody because in the body of Christ, there's a lot of nobodies who are empowered by him so that no flesh will glory in his presence. It is not by might. It is not by power. But it is by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. The confidence that is rooted in self-sufficiency and pride undermines the grace of God. It resists the grace of God. It makes you not a candidate for the strength that you need. And when we were lost and dead in our sins, we knew that self-righteousness was getting us nowhere. We learned that pride was destroying us. We learned that we thought we could overcome the habits of sin, but we failed every time because we tried to do it. We cannot save ourselves. You learned it when you repented of your sins and, and you emptied yourself of pride. And you emptied yourself of self-sufficiency. You know, the essence of sin is self-will. That's what Isaiah said Oh, we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. My way, my way. No wonder Jesus would pray, not my will, not my will, but yours be done. That is the essence of surrender that makes you a candidate for the grace of God. You learned it when you were saved. When Paul had been saved. But he still knew every day I've got this thorn in the flesh. Working miracles and getting beat up at the same time. Preaching the gospel, 
boom, there it is again, that thorn in the flesh. Writing letters to the churches from prison. Ah, stop it. God, take this away. My grace is sufficient. My strength is made perfect in weakness. So Paul said, I will now glory in infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For I have learned, and I'm skimming through these last two verses, verse 10. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Through infirmities, reproaches, necessities, persecutions, distresses, Paul said, I have learned this great lesson. Aren't you glad that brilliant intellectual theologians can still learn something? Like Paul? Yeah. I take pleasure in them. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What I want you to understand today is that there are no superheroes in the kingdom of God. There are just people like you and me. People like Elijah, who is a man, James describes him, of like passions like we are. He got discouraged, wished to die, ran from Jezebel. He had his high points. He could get really, really high and powerful, and then he could get depressed and low and run for his life. But people just like that could pray and shut up heaven for rain and pray again and it would rain. God uses ordinary people just like you who will confess that I am weak. But He is strong. Would you bow your heads right now, please? You may not feel particularly weak today. You may feel like you trust the Lord in your life. But right now, I would like there to be a spiritual exercise going on this room. Whether you need to confess your sins or just admit to the Lord again, Lord, I am nothing without you. Let's pray right now, Lord God. Would you lift your voice? You don't have to shout, but would you lift your voice and pray out loud right now? Pray what I've preached today, Lord. I, I feel like Gideon at times, Lord, that I, I bring nothing to the table, Lord. I have nothing that you can use, Lord. No ability, no talents or skills. God, I need you today. Lord, there are times we feel exhausted, but we know, Lord, you can give us strength in our weakness. I said, just pray that right out to the Lord right now. Hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. There are people in impoverished places in the world that have nothing but Jesus. 
Someone said that you'll only learn that Jesus is all you need when Jesus is all you have. I don't want to ever be like the church of Laodicea. Laodicea, Revelation 3, 17. They said, I'm rich, increased with goods, don't need anything, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm okay. The Lord said, you don't even know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I'm not trying to just hit you between the eyes right now. But the person who says, well, that message was for someone else today. Maybe you're a Laodicean. And the Lord said to them, I counsel of you to buy of me gold tried in the fire that you may be rich and white raiment that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness will not appear. And the Lord said, I want you to anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. If you can't see today your great need of God, then I pray that you would anoint your eyes with eye salve so that you would realize that if you want to be a candidate for the strength of God, you've got to be willing to own, admit, and exchange your weakness for His strength.